1: to Wrestling with Friends. I'm your host,
0: King David Lane. That's King David Lane on just about every social media platform. So give me a like follow phone request and I'm most likely get you one in return. And I'm here to talk what else about wrestling. Oh yeah, don't forget King David Comedy on most major social media platforms. As well, it's as comedy with a K. King David Comedy. Got a few things I want to talk about this week. Uh, this is predominantly a wrestling show, although we do dive into some MMA and occasional football and fantasy football particularly NFL, more so than college. But the Super Bowl was yesterday, so we're going to get into that. Of course, it's Black History Month, so I wanted to get into some of the uh, more popular, more interesting stories revolving black wrestlers and other talent in the wrestling world. So we're going to get into that. Unfortunately, I was given a very good reason, a sad reason to talk about uh, Wonder Stars this week. I I was not really planning on talking about this, but unfortunately uh butchery died so we're gonna get into a lot to him this week. I meant to t- discuss some Norval Austin last week, but uh, uh, You know me <laughs> Most of the time when I run a show is a one-man ship or you know, sometimes my coast kick in at the last minute So I forget what I want to talk about so I didn't get that in I got everything else I wanted to talk about last week, but not that so we're gonna double up on some black history this week with a couple of different great black talents Talk some Super Bowl, we got some Alexa Bliss stuff, we got some Laura Sullivan stuff, and we got some Tyler Rex stuff as well. So, uh, oh yeah, and I do want to briefly chime in on Superstar Spectacle. I'm not going to go into depth on it because I watched it, but I was, you know, I didn't take copious notes or anything, but I do have a general opinion about it, so I'll get into that. So, without further ado, let's explain. I guess I'll get right into the topic of the show. We'll start off with the Super Bowl. I think uh, I saw the same, well, most other people saw. Uh, I did I did enjoy some of the commercials. The Rocket Mortgage was uh was probably the highlight. Uh halftime show was pretty good. Uh actually the first five seconds of the halftime show was probably the best first five seconds of the halftime show. I was like, Oh, this is this might be the best show ever. Just watching the first five to six seconds, I was like, Yeah, this is gonna work. And overall it was pretty good. I think they did a good job with uh, with the sort of, you know, trying to keep it socially distanced, they had the, uh, a lot of the talents and musicians separated at a nice distance consistently. So they found a good way to do that without making it so obvious. If I had not been watching it, I would not have realized it. Uh, moments when they did have dancers and stuff, they were all masked up and they were all, you know, those were the ones that were close together. So he actually found a good way to use that, too. So uh when the weekend promised something different and unique but there was going to be something special he delivered i liked the set as well so overall they did a very very good job with it uh so i did like the halftime show and i'm not really a big halftime show guy usually i don't give her that much of a crap you know obviously there's some artists i care about more than others any given year but uh Usually, if there's something else to watch, if there's an X T special, if there's a lemon color special, there's Ken's Spill, I almost always watch those instead. So, <laughs> there didn't appear to be much going on other than some Miley Cyrus thing, I think. So, I was like, yep, this year I'm stuck watching it. So, uh, and I actually watched the Super Bowl It's one of the few events every year I try to watch live or at least close to it. Most of the time, when I watch football, I, I wait till it's like an hour in, <laughs> and then I hit commercial skip or 15 second skip twice between the plays and it works great if uh if they're not running a no huddle offense so that's just what I try to do although I've noticed now though the 15 is better now if they do run a no huddle offense you still can do a 15 skip instead of the commercial skip which is around 30 or just a little bit shorter than that so that's something else that notable so if you get a 15 second skip or you have the option of choosing between which one 15 twice or the commercial skip once is a good way to go although it's a no huddle offense you just want to go with the 15 once that's King's tip for saving time. If you want to like save yourself an hour off of a football game, if you're really dedicated to it, you can do it pretty easily. Anyway, to the actual game, uh, Tom Brady played well. The uh, Buccaneers' defense was incredible, although I wonder how much of that was just the fact that the Kansas City O-line was terrible. Uh, the tackles were absolute garbage. Shaq Barrett just lives in the backfield of the Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes was throwing incredible passes and the passes that he got off, they kept dropping <laughs> or hit got, getting hit in the head with it. He was throwing from incredible weird angles yeah. and was working and they kept dropping passes or you just zoning be at a So he's, he had one of the best performances with a terrible offensive line I've ever seen. So I will give him that much credit. Uh, I do, Like I said, I do kind of wonder how the Buccaneers' defense would have looked against them if they actually would have had a decent line, though, because, yeah, remember, they were on a third-string left tackle. They were on a backup right tackle. Uh, the right guard opted out initially for due to the COVID protocols and stuff, so they were, like, starting at least three linemen who probably shouldn't be starting. So uh, that, was a, that was a lot to overcome. It was one of the few reasons I did give the Buccaneers a chance. I thought since the Chiefs had – were able to overcome it previously. I thought they would still do pretty well, but nope. The worst case scenario for what I thought could happen did happen. As far as that matchup, the the, the pass rushers from the Buccaneers versus the Kansas City Chiefs' uh, O line, I did give them a chance for that reason. So I didn't even bo- I didn't even bother making a prediction. If I would have made one, I probably would have been Chiefs. But there was enough in it. I didn't. I, I wasn't you know overly confident the way a lot of folks were that the Chiefs were going to win. Anyway, like I said, I, I did not expect no matter what though, I was not expecting the Buccaneers to blow out no matter what. So that I couldn't predict I couldn't have in a million years. And actually even even when the game was, you know, it was not a close game pretty much at any point after the first quarter or so, I still saw the Chiefs being in it just because of Pat because 'cause they're used to coming from behind in a lot of games. So anyway. This is one of those weird times It did not happen at all. So uh, congratulations to uh, Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. Uh, Chiefs will be back probably soon, <laughs> sooner or later. Probably sooner. Like I said, I'm, I don't know if they'll necessarily be the favorites next year again, but at least some of the linemen should be back next year, so they should be in a better position. Uh, some other teams will, will be looking pretty good, so it, it, they'll probably start catching up a little bit more too. So, And, of course, Tom Brady is – I believe it's already said he's coming back, so you have the last two defending champs plus the Rams with uh, Matt Stafford, so it's next year shaping up to be pretty good. Plus, you're gonna have a lot of more quarterback changeover most likely, so I'm I'm kind of excited to see what'll be the next season is. I'm also excited because usually the day after Super Bowl is when EA releases the previous year's Madden uh, to the people that have EA access, and I subscribe to it, so. Actually, it's a pretty good deal because for the cost of about one video game, I get access to the whole library. I just don't get any of the games new. So uh, I will have to check my uh, Xbox uh, library to see if it is available now on e-access. EA Weird thing is, I still have not beat Madden 19. You figure with all the free time a lot of people have had, the last year I would have been able to beat it by now. Nope. I did manage to beat Madden 20 already. But I stood on beating Madden nineteen, so it's literally taking me over two years to beat it now, just because largely because I haven't played, I haven't spent that much time playing it the last year, so it's not like it's just been killing me. It's just like I'll put it away for a while, then might not play it for a few months, then I'll play it one, two games here, then I might not play it for a few months. And of course, like I said, I got interrupted playing it a lot by Madden twenty. <laughs> but I did already beat that, so I had to go back to it. Anyway, that's enough about King's Madden talk. I'm sure you guys are are all that excited to hear about it anymore, so I'm gonna move on. But anyway, like I said, it was a, pretty much a dog of a game, just due to the fact, like I said, Patrick Mahomes was running for his life. They estimated that he ran, he rushed for 500 yards laterally, trying to run from the pass rush, and Shaq Barrett was again in the backfield all the time. So, but anyway, that's enough about the Super Bowl. I'll move on to some other things. Uh, Bruce Franklin Reed, also known as Butch Reed. He was a professional wrestler, and he's actually a football player as well. He played college at uh, University of Central Missouri. He was in Mid South as well as uh, World Wrestling Federation World Championship Wrestling. Uh, he teamed up with uh, Farouk slash Ron Simmons. Actually, when he teamed up, he was Ron Simmons. But you know, my, some people I might know Ron Simmons. And Farouk, but they were a team. Doom. Uh, he had a he had a nice you know long career. Uh, his career started in 78, and he wrestled at least on an independent surface as late as 2013, so that's like a good, you know, 22 plus. That's a 35-year career, so that's pretty impressive. He was billed as 6'2 and 262. Like I mentioned, he played at University of Central Missouri, where he, uh, he did a, sign as a rookie free agent with the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, but he did not make the team. Uh, he did play linebacker. He was actually originally trained by Ronnie Etchison, debuting in '78. Originally going by Bruce Reed, and that's when he first added the name, uh, Hacksaw. Uh, he went by a couple of different names throughout his career. Like I said, I, I actually knew him originally as Hacksaw. Uh, later he became a natural, and um. And like I said, I remember, you know, had these various names. So it's actually pretty nice that I actually I did not realize, you know, you, you don't know how people's careers are going to evolve. I was a kid when I first started watching him. It probably would have been like the probably 86th first time I saw him wrestle, so I did not, you know, realize he was sort of changing, sort of and sort of change. And I didn't completely understand the territory system back in the day either. I did, you know, eventually develop some understanding of it eventually, but I didn't understand when it first happened. I just knew wrestling was on TV so I watched it. I knew there were different companies and whatnot, but I didn't understand you know different territories as far as, you know, mid south and mid Atlantic and stuff. Obviously if there was a Florida championship or a Georgia championship wrestling, I kinda knew what that meant, but I did not understand like what mid South and Mid Atlantic and all those stuff meant and what areas of the country they were and all that kind of stuff. So But anyway, uh he did uh, win various titles throughout various territories. Uh, I'll try to give a quick rundown on just some of the different titles he won and including some of the other accomplishments he had. He was NWA Central States Tag Team Champion with Jerry Roberts, Championship Wrestling from Florida. He won the NWA International Ch- Heavyweight Championship. For some reason, it's not recognized in Japan, though. He was the NWA North American Tag Team Championship, the Florida version with Sweet Brown Sugar he won the Georgia Championship Omni Thanksgiving Tag Team Tournament 1983 with Piers Wiley also known as Pistol Piers Wiley although I don't know if he was going by Pistol in that exact moment Uh, he won the GWF North American Heavyweight Championship one time, that's Global Wrestling Federation he also won the Insane Championship Wrestling MWCW Heavyweight Championship he won Mid-South Wrestling Association belts in the following categories he won a Tag Team Championship once Television Championship once, and North American Heavyweight Championship three times. And he actually won the tag team championship with Jim Inville Nighthart, by the way. Mid-States Wrestling, he was the MSW Heavyweight Champion once. Missouri Wrestling Federation slash Midwest Wrestling Federation, he was the Heavyweight Champion one time. Uh, Pro Wrestling Illustrated, he was ranked 174 of the 500 best single wrestlers during the PWI years back in 2003. He was ranked 91 of the 100 best tag teams during the PWI years with Ron Simmons in 2003 as well. <clears throat> he won the United States Wrestling Associated USWA Unified World Heavyweight Championship one time. He won the uh, WCW World Tag Team Championship one time with Ron Simmons. Again, that was Doom. He won the World League Wrestling Heavyweight Championship one time. And he was also won these accomplishments during the Wrestling Observer Newsletter as well. Strongest wrestler in 1984. Most it says most unimproved <laughs> in 1987. I'm not sure if that's a typo or what. <laughs> that's definitely weird. Most unimproved. <laughs> is it possibly most? You just like go backwards. I clearly have not been reading enough uh, wrestling observer to not know if this is an ironic title or a typo, but at any rate uh, it does say most unimproved. So I guess I'll go with that. <laughs> at any rate, uh, back to some of his, uh, earlier stuff. Uh, he did, uh, like I mentioned earlier, he did wrestle with Bruce Reed. He'd be in Hassell, uh, went to NWA Central States Team Championship in 1980. Eventually, uh, him and Jerry Rollins, they lost it to the Kelly Twins. He went to Mid-South. He was there from like about five years. He went to Mid-South from 83 to 86. Uh, that was Bill Watts' territory, by the way. Uh, I believe this is where I first saw him uh, when he was still Hacksaw. <laughs> he actually had a feud with Jim Duggan over the Hacksaw nickname. Uh, that's when uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan was part of a group with uh, called the Rat Pack along with Teddy Beyonce and Matt Bourne. They feuded over it. Eventually, Jim Duggan turned face and then Reed turned heel when I uh, Jim was picked to be Junkyard Dog's tag team partner over Reed. So uh, I don't remember this actual feud. I do, like I said, I do remember him. I believe it made up I don't remember this feud though. So I think this, this is probably a little bit before my time. This early part because he was there for three years. I didn't start watching wrestling until '85, like so that probably was in the '83 or '84 range. Right, later on, he did eventually uh, sign with WWE in '86, uh, and he was brought in with Slick he dyed his hair blonde, that's when came the natural, <laughs> which was hilarious. Uh, it was, the character was supposed to be an updated version of Sweet Daddy Seeky. Uh We did discuss him, I believe, a few months ago on the show. Uh, I did not, I was not really familiar with this character, but uh he did do a very, a lot of various interesting things that some of the other, uh, black talent particularly adopted and he did, you know, not just black talent. There was other, uh, wrestlers who did, you know, have a pay a debt to him. I won't get into him too much though, right now, but, uh, overall a very, very interesting cat and he's still alive and kicking and hanging in there at age 80. So, uh, congratulations to him. At any rate, uh, back to Bush Reed. though. uh, he made his pay per view debut at WrestleMania 3. He defeated Coco Beware. And that, and that actually goes with uh, what I said before. Uh, back in the day, whenever there was black wrestlers, they either had to be friends or enemies or probably both at some point. But they never really existed independently of each other. They, their paths would always cross. There might only be two or three black guys there, but their paths would always cross. I'm also they're also a me of like thinking of like the feud between uh Iceman along with Savannah Jack back in the day. Uh and some other, you know, prominent fuses that happened between you know, famous black talent. Like I said, we mentioned earlier, uh that uh he did feud with uh Junkyard Dog for a minute over that tag team snub he felt like. By the way, Iceman King Parsons was the name I was thinking of. I, was, I thought of his name, but I could not think of his full name, so I just said Iceman, But I was right about that. But anyway, Iceman King Parsons was the was the name who feuded with Savannah Jack back in the day. Um, while he was with uh, WWF, and he was still with Slick, he uh, eventually uh, targeted uh, Ricky Steamboat. They had an, a decent uh, run as a feud, facing him with house shows and a wrestling challenge. Uh, they were actually, you know, then they set him up for a few with Superstar Billy Graham, who would come back after his hip surgery. So, eventually, what they had, they had a uh, uh acquisition of one-man gang injured Graham because his heel was not really up to full-time wrestling. So, that eventually what was why he retired, uh, for kayfabe reasons. And Superstar Billy Graham began manage, managing Don Morocco. And that be led to their feud. Actually, he had uh, opposite teams during the first Survivor Series back in the day as well. So, uh. at any rate, uh, he did also compete in the Royal Rumble in the first one back in 1988. Uh, he was eliminated in the first round of WrestleMania Four Championship Tournament, losing to Randy Savage, even though he whooped him a, a good deal of the match. He spent way too much time, you know, talking to Elizabeth, and then ended up costing him part of the match. Uh, his last uh, WWE appearance was believed to be in 2007 on a September 14th edition of SmackDown, and he was legit of the segment with his one of his former managers, by the way, uh, Theodore Long. Um, after he left uh, WWF for that run. He went back to NWA World Championship Wrestling from 88 to 92.
2: Uh,
0: He went back to being Hacksaw Bush Reed again. Went back to feuding with Junkyard Dog again. Black wrestlers must feud with each other. They must be friends and feud (laughs) over and over again. He was uh, eventually, uh, he was managed by J.J. J. Dillon for a while, before eventually his contract was sold to uh, the Yamasaki Corporation. And then later on, he was involved with the Angle with the Steiner Brothers. Uh, well, the Steiner Brothers involved the Angle with woman who promised doom for the two brothers, but never specified what this meant. Eventually, a woman came out with uh, Ron Simmons and Bush Reed under mask, It was pretty ridiculous too, by the way, because anybody who watched (laughs) NWA slash WCW back in the day knew it was them because there was only two black guys working for the company at the time. I can't remember if I remember this or not. I don't remember the debut of Doom, so I can't say I knew at the time. But the word is, you know, pretty much any wrestling fans we watched back in the day knew it was them. I figure anybody who was a dope probably knew too, because if there's only two wrestlers in the company that are black and pretty big, prominent, strong ones, it pretty much has to be them. Uh, apparently, Jim Ross accidentally exposed Reed to dinner one time doing Scarcade 89, though. <laughs> so, it's <laughs> just pretty ridiculous overall, but, uh, I really did like doing as a team. They were they were a nice, you know, dominant black power team. Off the top of my head, they're really the only one I could think of as far as a black power team, like truly just being two powerful, strong guys. Because obviously Harlem Heat was a strong team, but when I think of Harlem Heat, I think of more like, you know, uh, Booker T being a more athletic guy, even though he was still you know, a pretty decent sized guy. He was more of an athletic guy. And his brother, Stevie Ray, was like the power guy of that team, kind of like when you had, like, the, uh, the Hart Foundation. And, you know, numerous other teams over the years, you had one sort of athletic, more speed guy, another guy with the power. Anvil was the power guy on that team. But anyway, uh, they did win a debut match against the Steiners. Uh, they were in a uh, one-night tag team tournament after that. They didn't even get score a point in a round round tournament. So, they kind of had things go back and forth for them as a team, but overall, like I said, uh, they were they were really great, entertaining team, and I really enjoyed watching them back in the day. So uh, from '92 to 2002, and again, I guess he took a little break in 2003, 2004, and again from 2005 to 2013, he worked uh, on the independent circuit. Actually, when he left uh, WCW, he went to USWA. I did mention earlier his title title run there. And he feuded with Junkyard Dog again. (laughs) Again, the rule applies. Two black guys have to feud with each other. Uh, He he later, uh, that that run landed uh, for a while. He later appeared in uh, Global Wrestling Federation in its last days. He was the second to last, you know, North American champion there. And I mentioned earlier, he did sort of take a break for a while there after having a nice long run on independent scene for a while. He did come back in 2005 and appeared some of the other uh, federations that I mentioned. Uh, He did have his last match. It was a tag team match against uh, Flash Fanigan and Ron Powers with his partner, Bob Orton Jr. So uh, Of course, that's Ace Orton, Randy's dad, Uh, he actually was part of a lawsuit and unfortunately in wrestling there's been a lot of guys who have been part of parts of lawsuits uh, related to various things. That was the uh, traumatic brain injury lawsuit that, that ran back in 2016. This company concealed risks as far as the hit, hit injuries and whatnot. The lawsuit was eventually thrown out in uh, 2018. Uh, he was announced on his official Instagram February 5th few days ago if you're listening live uh some relatives are like you know attributing his death to covid he did test positive in january uh but i've sort of seen a little bit of mixed stuff about that so i don't want to conclusively say that uh if i do get a little bit more clarification of that i will try to uh share that information uh some point next week on next week's show so like I said, that is some of the chatter that's going on, but I don't wanna I don't want you to take that as gospel right now so uh let's give a hearty uh a very very hearty rest in peace and uh send out some thoughts to their family uh, like I said, he was one of the, he was one of the first black guys to go blonde by the way when he became the natural, so uh I'm trying to remember. Let's see. He was, he became the natural when he went to WWE and that would have been 86. I'm pretty sure he was the first prominent black guy that I knew of going blonde. Uh, later, you know, we had demolition man. We had the, some of the characters, of Meteor man, we had Dennis Rodman, but I believe he was, he was the first one that I remember going blonde back in the day. So, uh, I guess he was a trendsetter in that regard too. So, uh, trendsetter and stylish in a lot of different ways, so uh, I guess you can uh, blame him or congratulate him or, you know, applaud him depending on how you feel about black dudes with blonde hair. By the way, please don't tweet me your thoughts on black guys with blonde hair. I am not interested in your opinion on that. (laughs) But anyway, I'm going to go ahead and move on. Like I said, uh, I guess other thing I want to talk about this week, but I definitely wanted to uh, get in some thoughts on on Bushwick. He was a very, very talented cap and like I said, he while he didn't win any of the the top, he, he didn't win a lot of the top singles titles in the top companies. He had a, a lot of uh, different title runs. And, you know, he did have some tag team success with some of the top, top titles and uh, some of the top feds. So uh, I definitely think he's, he's definitely worthy of uh, some uh, Hall of Fame consideration, uh, whether it be with his team uh, – Because, like I said, he he competed for a lot of different companies, a lot of different territories, and held a lot of titles. Like I said, although, again, like I mentioned, he didn't win the top titles in some of the other feds, as far as, you know, what I would call a top two or top three fed. He did win the heavyweight titles for some of the other uh, companies, and he was a world tag team champion, so that's nothing to sneeze at. He did have a very, very consequential career, consequential impact, so. Anyway, I will move on to some other thoughts On other things I want to discuss uh, this week uh, I did have a chance to check out uh, ooh, Before we move on We do have, uh looks like we do have uh, Brian in the hole So I'm going to go ahead and go to Brian Let me make sure he's at home Hey Brian, how's it going?
2: How's it going, King? How's it going? VOC person with problem nation
0: I'm glad I got you. I got you right before I was about to move on from Butch Reed. So before, before I move on, did you have any thoughts you wanted to share about the uh, the natural slash Hacksaw, Butch Reed?
2: Uh, sure. Okay. He, um, here's my thing. I remember my first recollection of him was this big, um, dude who was blind and you, you know, as, as well as I do, King that, um, people that look
0: like him did not go blind back then. No, there there was literally literally no black, there was literally no black blonde people back in 1986. Like I said, I'm pretty sure he was, I'm not going to say the first one, but the first one of prominence on the pop culture landscape, at least as far as I was aware of. Like I said, I I think, I I believe Big uh, Sweet Daddy Seeky did go blind at some point or something, but that was before my time, so I never really got to see him when he was at his prime. But as far as the cultural landscape within the black community at that time, he was the only one, he was the first one to go blonde. Just so I can just so I can clarify. But yeah, like I said, it was very, it's very, 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 very interesting. Look, and like I said, that really, that really made himself. And the best part was of that gimmick. He was going by quote the natural. <laughs> so how can a blonde black dude? Go by the name the natural. That that's that, that that's what made the character even better. That was like a great part of the joke. <laughs> a blonde dude, yeah. a blonde black dude going by the name the natural, <laughs> which was hilarious. <laughs> even even back then, I sort of got the joke. It's it's probably funnier to me now, but even then, I think back then even then, I still got the joke.
2: <laughs> but anyway,
0: uh, anyway, we can go ahead and move on now. Uh, did you have a chance to check out uh, Superstar Spectacle? I have not. Okay, well, that'll make this much easier for me to discuss because I'll just do it sort of on my own. I didn't want to spend a lot of time on it because I was not a huge fan of the show. While I do see the potential in both the Indian market and this, these, some of this uh, talent, uh, after watching the show, it was they're not quite ready for prime time just yet. So I think if they do decide to go ahead and give them a weekly show, they should make it a 30-minute show. Obviously, you do have Jinder Mahal, uh, and you could introduce some of the. Uh, you could keep you could some some of the uh, WWE slash NXT talents there to wrestle with these guys. So, if you really wanted to, you you, you pro- I guess now I take that back. You probably could do an hour show, but but you would have to lean on to some of the American stars to really make it going. Because thirty minutes is a little bit of a short to have a wrestling show, but if you do an hour show it'll take a while to sort of build up enough stars to truly have a true one hour show uh, dominated by their talent. Like I said, don't be wrong. There is some talent there. I like the industry and their potential, although I was not aware. I was not aware one of those guys was one of the million dollar arm guys. So that, that added another layer to something. I was glad to learn something a little bit different about them, but think about it. These are the guys that, that one, the, the, the that. Let me take that back. I mean, let me let me back up just a little bit. I was I was thinking from America's perspective, you know what I would like to watch, and that's pretty much the wrong way to do it. Because even though I will probably tune in, this product is designed for the Indian market, so I will probably need to look in and talk to you know a few more Indian fans to really know what they feel about it. I just know from my perspective of watching it what i felt like i felt like that the talent was not quite ready they didn't have fully developed personalities and again a lot of these you know guys are sort of performance performance center guys so they're not fully ready yet but for instance the Bollywood boys as far as you know being fully developed sort of wwe characters they work jinder mahal is being a you know fully developed quote wwe style character he works uh in short have a nice look I don't think they're this silly finished products, but I definitely see the potential in them. Um, and obviously they only have a couple of female talents that are available right now, but, uh, like I said, maybe the Indian uh, fans might see it a little bit differently as far as whether or not they think their talents available as far as, you know, being good enough yet. Obviously I think they got like giant, then and Dearsher Shanky, uh, some cool sort of giant characters that might have have a little bit potential down the road they might be available as well I just don't think like I said I I think overall the rest ability is not there enough for enough of the talent again I didn't see the characters as being fully developed but also I don't know if the character aspect will be as important for the Indian market because uh you know they 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 showed you know the style of wrestling they were showing like as far as the pit wrestling and wrestling in the sand and that sort of stuff. I don't obviously I don't think the character aspect of that is nearly as important. So uh, I would I would have to look at it from that perspective. Just said just looking at it from a from American wrestling fan, I didn't think it was quite ready, but maybe maybe the uh, Indian market might look at it a little bit differently. So. I guess, like I said, if, if you're a fan from India or you know a lot of Indian fans, feel free to tweet me at KingDavidLane or tweet at VLCNation.com. Uh, and I'd love to hear what your thoughts are on that. I do want to give a review that uh, Ian Hamilton of 411 Mania gave a 7.2 out of 10. And his comments included remarking off the Indian performers, including those making the television debut that for a group of guys effectively trained from scratch, this wasn't half bad. Uh, believing that the show was a potential step for future NXT India, following the example of NXT UK. NXT UK had the advantage, although they, you know, largely were guys from um, the indie scene over in England that actually, you know, had a lot more experience. And again, I don't want this to be taken as I'm crapping on these guys. I don't think they're ready. I'm not saying that they'll never be ready. I think they have potential. I just don't think, just based on their talent alone, they're not ready for a weekly one-hour show if they mix in a good deal of some of the American talent like they did with this superstar spectacle, this could sort of be like uh, the way NXT was when NXT first started, you know, as far as you know, sort of, you know, developing the talent and eventually down the road, maybe five, ten years down the road, it could really be a thing. I think that's a better way to put it overall, how I view this. So, um, I know you haven't had a chance to watch it yet, but did you have any thoughts on what I said or uh, do you want to move on?
2: yeah um, i honestly i can't agree with you wholeheartedly on on, on that because um uh, let's um look at this from a um just a pure wrestling perspective okay now although me and you along with um chris may not agree that um w w e Product has been um up the par i i um I think we've been staying there for a while, but remember when Monday night Raw first came out did yep. you go back that far King yep yeah okay now um and compared to what it is today, it's way more polished, you know what I mean and I could go back as far as it, uh, I don't know if you could go back to when e c w first came out when
0: w w e first
2: came out no no e c w oh when e c w first
0: came out i know what yeah. i don't i wasn't there watching when it first came out i've i have now retroactively watched it over the last few years, but so i i know what the beginning was like, so yes, but i was not there right. at the very very beginning of it yeah.
2: But um, do you recall um like the first um two, three years versus like uh, when they finally got their groove into year four, five and six?
0: Yep, yep, yep. I, I saw the huge difference and a huge improvement over, you know, what it started out as and what it became. And and I agree that So there could be there could so be that you know, much growth this. over the, over the few years, yes. I agree with that.
2: Right, right, right. So so I'm I'm not trying to be a dead horse, but that's pretty much what I'm going with that. You know what I mean? Same, same as you. I'm um, I'm not gonna say that they could never, because let's be honest. Did you expect Impact Wrestling to be around as long as it has? Because for me, I'm not gonna lie to you. It was a couple years I thought this is it. You know what I mean? Um, but yet. They managed to survive. I do mean that in a literal sense. They managed to survive because lesser companies, in my opinion, um, haven't stood um, up to what what some people may say an inferior product.
0: Yep, and like I I said, it wasn't it, it, it hasn't just been one time we thought that there's been like sort of weeks and months where we thought it was gonna happen. Then they sort of get a reprieve. Then there's been weeks again where you're like, Okay, is this is now the time TNA or is now the time is going to the rest. They finally have stabilized since Anthem bought them. So now, you know, they they're under the umbrella of having a network that owns them and a company that owns them all in one roof. So I think they're they're pretty much safe right now as far as they're not going anywhere. And I think with them being as part, you know, being part of the anti Brother, and, you know, having a network, having a company, and like I said, uh, overall, I think if anything happens with them, they'll get sold again, but they'll be sold collectively as a group as opposed to, you know, uh, piecemeal where it's going from, like, you know, Jeff Jarrett to Dixie Carter or whatever else. As long as you have that network with you, unless the network collapses, you're, you're in pretty decent shape. So they finally stabilized for the first time. But anyway, we weren't really here to talk about TNA or Impact, but I'm glad you did sort of bring up that comparison. So now we're going to move on to something a little bit different. I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if you're familiar with this. So I might be breaking news to you. It might not. Cause we have not talked about this, but uh, are you familiar with the Tyler Rex news?
2: I'm not. I'll be honest. I'm not. Okay. Uh, well,
0: I'll be breaking some news to you. Uh, former WWE star Tyler X reveals. She is a woman named Gabby tough. Uh, Gabby is uh, indicated over the last, you know, couple of days that uh, making her long-awaited gender reveal that she's a woman. Uh, I guess on Instagram, the story sort of broke over a couple of days. They were doing these like sort of, you know, I don't know if crypt is the right word, but like you know, sort of vague announcements over a transition or something different happening or you know, secret coming out or something like that. But eventually. Uh, it sort of uh, it came out of an Instagram And then eventually on Extra TV So uh, So this is Probably I think this is only the second Transgender professional wrestling I'm aware of I know uh, Nyla Rose Is a uh, is a Trans woman as well so uh, That would be the second Although technically I guess Ty- Tyler Rex slash Gabby is not An active wrestler anymore uh, So I don't know that would technically count, but as far as people within the, who people who were wrestlers, I guess that would be a better way to put it. So, uh, and this is the first this is the first one who actually has been a WWE star. So, yeah. Uh, any thoughts? I just want I just want to say for the record, I will uh, I wish her the best. And I will, like I said, whenever somebody makes a transition, I try to respect their pronouns as much as possible. Whether it be even if they transition or if they uh, even if they don't transition, because there are different people who go by different. Uh, Sexualities and non uh, binary gender, so I try to, you know, respect that as much as possible. So, I, I, whenever somebody does what makes them happy, if they're not hurting anybody, I respect it. So, uh, I wish, I wish, uh, her the best in her,
2: uh,
0: new life and hope they continue to be happy. So,
2: you any thoughts? Uh, well, I'm, um, I'm just gonna say, um, this, um, what makes this country. Um, great is freedom and diversity. And Is that as, what uh, makes it great um, again or
0: what it makes what makes it great now?
2: What well, what what makes it great period is um freedom and I, I, I think um as we as Americans and as human beings um we may get a couple of things misconfused I mean misconstrued, which is how freedom works. Freedom just don't work for one certain segment of the population or one group of individuals. It works for everyone, and at least in theory, it's supposed to work equally. Just because I do not agree with your lifestyle or things you say or how you look, that does not mean that you, don't, you do not have the legal constitutional right to live how you see fit. I may not like it. You may not like it. But we still should respect what another person uh, can and will do as long as it's within the Constitution. And on that note, I wish them well.
0: Okay, we will move on then. Uh, Here's something I actually noticed it was like the one small part that I didn't like about the whole Lexa Bliss thing, where she sort of switches the outfits and sort of becomes a different character. I thought it was well edited. Obviously, I know it's edited just to the fact that there's no way that magic sort of happened. And that's probably something they never would have been able to pull off if they were having you know live audiences. Because uh, I've mentioned on the show a couple times before, the one advantage to not having live audience and have everybody in the Thunderdome concept is. Certain surprises where you do a surprise to editing or you do a surprise run-in or something like that, the people watching on webcams actually see the TV feed. So, unfortunately, when you watch wrestling with a live crowd, if somebody's doing a run-in, you always hear that crowd noise, folks, so you know you end up having it sort of ruined for you. And that's one thing they don't have right now. So, I, so Alexa Bliss's sort of character changes, outfit changes, and reflecting those characters, has they've done a good job. Reflecting that, and they've been able to sort of do it in pretty much an instant. But I did find this sort of loophole in how to ex- how it's been exposed slightly that they are editing it. You know what that is? Um, no. Yeah, here's the thing. If you look closely, when she's like in the corner, there'll be a different fan behind her on the Thunderground. Whether it be one or a couple fans, depending on how they picture it, so you'll see different people when she goes before the change and after the change. Actually, you know, at first I was like, I wonder if this is happening. So it made me think. So I actually did go through the hit the instant replay button. I was like, yep, different fans are in different places. So that's the one part where it's sort of obvious that they are editing it. So, so WWE, if you're listening, fix that one part of it. Anyway, well, let's move on to our next thought. Have you heard the news about Lars Sullivan?
2: No, I haven't.
0: Uh, yes, uh, Dylan Miley, also known as Lars Sullivan, is going from WWE. Uh, this is uh, confirmed by PW uh, Insider. dot uh, com. Uh, he was actually signed back in 2013, and I was not aware he trained under Bobby Lashley. So it was very, very weird that he trained under Bobby Lashley, and then we had we had all that racist stuff come out about him. So that, that makes the whole story even weirder. But uh, this whole story has been a very, very interesting story. When I say interesting, honestly, I don't necessarily mean most of it's not good. And I do want to make sure that I'm separating sort of different parts of the story and different parts. Obviously, the sort of racist stuff that he had in the past—that's not good. On the other hand, he also had the sort of mental health issues. He had anxiety attacks and stuff like that. So I don't want to put that. I'm not putting all these different parts of his story in the same category. As you know, companies should support their uh, workers as far as with their mental health issues as well as the physical health issues. But he had these sort of mental health issues and he'd be going for a while. Then he come back, then he'd be gone for a while, then he get physically injured, and he'd be gone for a while. So eventually, I think it came to the point where they basically uh, you had the racist stuff, you had the homophobic stuff, you had the physical injuries, you had the mental injuries, and eventually they just realized they really can't count on him um, so eventually, I think there's a point where even if the company tries to support you, <laughs> if they can't rely on you to be there, whether it be physically or mentally ever there's a point where eventually they just have to sort of, you know, move on. I think that's kind of what happened. So as far as I know, there has not been mentioned being retired, but you know, I don't, I don't know if he'll ever get another quote run at a top company. I think maybe, you know, Indies were on a pay date basis. It might be a little bit easier to work with them as opposed as, you know, a contract where you try to do long-term storytelling. But yeah, he said before he would be on TV, he would have these huge, you know, anxiety attacks. And it would be really, really hard for him. So, I would say in wrestling, if you can't deal in front of being in front of a large crowd, or deal with being on TV, that's not going to work at all. <laughs> not, not, not for WWE or AEW or any of it, major company. Like I said again, maybe, maybe you know, different people have the anxiety and mental health issues affecting them Maybe he could do it differently if he was with you know a, a, a smaller company and maybe he'd be able to pull it off, but. I, I would say overall if if he, if he tries again it's not looking all that good for him to be on the on on the big scene. So uh do you got any thoughts on that?
2: Uh, yeah I do. It's um it's kind of a uh well I'm not gonna say kind of it, it's a very complex um situation. On the one hand you see this um got that that have some talent, they got some size but he's talented. But okay, let's not mistake that. But the flip of that is all the other um, for lack of a better word, strikes against them and you had um named all all of them um properly um and with uh, great accuracy. And you have to think, okay Will he be too much of a liability for us? And the company, uh, which I have to agree with, had had to cut ties. He kind of reminded me of um, this one guy that had to cut ties with years ago, and his last name, I think, was Hart. Hmm. Do you know that guy who I'm talking about, um, (laughs) King?
0: Well, they've cut ties a lot of hearts. I assume you're talking about Teddy, though, because you're probably not talking about Brett or Owen. (laughs) I assume you're talking about Teddy. No.
2: Yeah, that that, that dude. And I can recall that he also had some potential. Is that fair to say?
0: Yep. and He was one of those guys that never sort of – I mean – Never sort of fully realized that he did. He, you know, he had a lot of success in some of some of these other smaller companies like Major League Wrestling and some other companies, but he never got back to like being at the top. He never became like quote, world heavyweight champion or world champion as far as WWE. And I don't believe he was the Impact or TNA world champion. He did, he did have some different title ones and some different companies though, but he never quite made it to the top, what I'd call one of the top companies. Yeah, that's that's kind of what happens sometimes if you don't if you're the next big thing and but you never quite make it (laughs) to be the next big thing when they think you're going to be the next big thing but you never actually become the next big thing because he's like 41 years old now. Um, Pretty much the last significant uh, run I've seen for him anywhere. It looks like Major League Wrestling 2019. Obviously, wrestling wasn't necessarily you know. That big in 2020, because cause basically, sort of had uh the COVID shutting down a lot of things. Uh, and he actually did apparently he did appear in the crowd of some AEW and some NXT shows, but he never sort of took the step to go anywhere. He did have some uh he did have some 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 sort of uh stuff. Brought up uh, Legal troubles within the world of wrestling Let's see, uh, yeah mm-hmm. uh, I be, I, When I said stuff I thought there was some sexual assault stuff But before I said that, I want to make sure I actually looked it up Because I didn't want to say that and turn out to be wrong Because there are, there's unfortunately There's so much different stuff going on in wrestling There's been a lot of that, there's been between Harassment and assault and stuff, and I didn't want to say The wrong thing here, so I had to look it up real fast But yeah, he had some assault ag- Aggregation, but uh, I'll, I'll do it a quick Rundown of the list of things he's He's sort of had, As far as legal troubles uh, December 3rd, 2014 Royal Canadian Mounted Police announced These 106 charges involving two women The charges were eventually dropped for that In 2016 uh, He did uh, Discuss that interview With uh, Chuck E.D. and Trump Beretta Back in January 2015, he was arrested in Arlington, Texas, 2017, and was charged with DUI, evading arrest, and taking the vehicle without the owner's consent. Those charges were dropped eventually. February 20 he was arrested in Virginia and charged possession of a schedule three substance with intent to sell or distribute. Uh, now, sometimes that uh, intent to sell or distribute just means you have a lot of stuff on you. It, it doesn't I don't have I, mean, I don't see the listener was exactly what he had, but sometimes people would Drug problems still to support their habit And sometimes they just have such a huge amount Because they've been using it for so long That they consider that intent to sell or distribute Even though that's not what they grab They just had a lot of pills Because that's what they need To get them through the
1: week or whatever So
0: anyway I'm not saying that's what his case was I'm just saying That is an alternative To what could have been going on In that particular case With that particular bus Anyway uh, A month later uh, he was arrested again in Virginia, violating conditions of his bail, but not staying on house arrest. And then later that same month, March 26, arrested in Virginia for a third time for allegedly assaulting his girlfriend, uh, female independent wrestler Maria Manic, at the home of another wrestler, Ace Montana. Uh, Montana claims he pulled a gun on us in order to get him off of Manic. He then called the cops, and Anderson was arrested in charge of strangulation resulting in Bali harm/slash wounding. And he was held without bail in Richmond City, until the court date on April 22nd. Then, October 23rd, 2020, he was arrested in Texas in charge with injuring a disabled person evading arrest, and being and being in possession of a controlled substance. So, uh, the weird thing is, he's been arrested so many times. I don't think I remember anything about that one in October. He, he might have just sort of slipped his tracks, or just, but it could have been just been that we've talked about him so many times over the last year that we sort of forgot that we did that talk about him. But at any rate, uh, no,
2: go ahead. Um, actually, um, I was going to throw you a slight curveball. Uh, what's that? Okay. Okay, try this, though. Okay. And if you want, we can do this for next week's show. Okay. Who do you think would have had the biggest impact in wrestling in the 80s if their career had not been cut short?
0: And the biggest impact in the '80s if the is not cut short. Off the top of yeah. my head, and I'll say this: like I said, I'm glad you brought up. We could discuss it next week too. Off the top of my head, if I think of anybody next week, I'll come up with that. But off the top of my head right now, I, I probably have to go with with a. Uh, oh, I I take that back. I was gonna go with Magnum TA, but I gotta put I gotta put another contender in there though. Because on the one hand, it's Magnum T.A. as far as... uh I guess I could split it up in different federations. I put Magnum T.A. for sort of the NWA territories. Because he was like, you know, a U.S. champion, I believe. And he, I think if he have stuck around long enough, he would have been a world champion. He probably would have been one of those guys that they put up against Rick Flair. And he probably at least would have took the title off Rick Flair at least once. But being somebody else came to mind. Because... uh. David Von Erich was like the world-class championship guy. And I think world-class was competing to be like the next, you know, sort of major at that time. And I think, you know, his him dying was sort of the beginning of the downfall for the company, even though it didn't happen for, you know, another probably five years or so after he passed away. But I didn't start watching wrestling until after he was dead, I believe. And I, did, I was... Very, very sure that I didn't start watching world class until after he had passed already. Because I didn't know him as an active wrestler off the top of my head. So uh, I think if David Van Harry, who was considered the quote biggest star in the family, as far as, you know, Fritz's sons, I think if he doesn't die in Japan, you know, from depending on who you ask, whether it was a drug problem or, you know, food poisoning or, you know, intestinal issues or whatever. Maybe maybe world-class stays in business longer. Maybe world-class overtakes NWA slash world-class championship wrestling as the number two company at some point. So I guess we could kind of go either way with that. But even though my, my first thought was Magma TA, NWA instead of WCW sort of went on anyway. But world-class being basically done in another five years or so. I'm gonna go with David Von Erich. That that would probably be my number one as far as who would have had a different impact
2: if their career had not been short. Sure.
0: So uh who are you think who are you thinking? Was it one of those two or somebody different?
2: Uh for me it for me one would be um, Gino Hernandez and the other one will probably be um the one guy that, that um some some people probably uh Forgot about which? Believe uh, would be uh, Bruiser Brody.
0: I would say Bruiser Brody could have had a little bit more impact in his career, but I would think Bruiser Brody his career wasn't cut. I don't think that short as far as his prime years because he was. I think when Bruiser Brody died, wasn't he around forty or so? I uh,
2: I forget, but I I I want. I I'll probably go with that yeah. just for the yeah, Bruce um, and Brody,
0: moment. Yeah, when Bruce Brody died, he was like around forty-two, so he probably still had another you know a few good years left in him. But he lived out most of his prime. And the the one the one advantage Bruce Brody did have was the fact that uh he largely worked the indies for the most part. He was sort of traveling well, I won't say the indies, the, the territories rather. He didn't He didn't sign with WWF uh, And obviously he wasn't around To be with what we know as WCW Now these days because he passed away unfortunately But he helped save the territories To a large degree so That was definitely Something good that he did As far as helping keep those up You said Gino Fernandez uh, right?
2: Fernandez Yeah
0: Yeah so uh expound on that a little bit. How do you think he could have done differently? G- Gino Hernandez could have had a different impact
2: Well, here's my thing. Though. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm not too sure if, if you're familiar with Gino Hernandez, though, but, um, okay, to me, Gino Hernandez um, was, um, was um, Gino, okay, was a combination of Gino Molina, um, Eddie Guerrero, Ric Flair, and, um, De Rio. Now, um, okay, Alberto Del Rio is probably the closest I've seen to um Gino Hernandez. But the thing is so um Gino didn't have that um act like Alberto del Rio did. But as far as um his his character, the man was legit. If if you um if you or any of the fans ever get a chance to watch him. Um, some old clips of Gina you know, Hernandez. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Duke would have been one of the best heels of all time if um, if he would live, because he was that good. Where he could turn that switch, he he could make the whole crowd hate him. He would have that legitimate. He just like Slade it back in the '80s, but you actually didn't like. You, you um you liked him but you hated him at the same time. He um he can't hit that Jerry Unit think the man you love to hate. But he knew how to um work the char- work his character, work the ring, and um by by most wrestlers um um back in the eighties, um of his um um co workers would say that um he um he was a he was great to work with.
0: Yeah, I, I will say this though Also, by the way, uh, you you did mention uh you mentioned him previously on the show, and I actually you did you did have me go back and do a little bit of research on the guy. So I I was familiar with him again. I didn't I didn't get to see him when he was as much in his prime. I might have saw um he died not too long after I started watching wrestling I started watching wrestling in '85. He died early '86, so I can't remember if I saw him. You know, maybe a little bit because I can't remember. Exactly when I started watching world class wrestling, like uh, David Von Erich died in '84, so he died like a year, at least a good year before I started wrestling. Uh, Gino Hernandez died a few months, probably a little bit less than a year after I started watching wrestling. So I started watching different federations at different times because obviously I became aware of sort of different companies at different times. But you did remind, they did remind me when you brought him up that I did have a chance to uh, do a little bit of research. And yeah, he definitely had a lot of qualities that, like I still haven't seen a lot of actual footage of him but from the descriptions I've seen of Gino Hernandez he did definitely have a lot of talent and I think like I said it, especially with him dying at age like 20 uh like around 29 or so he's definitely had a lot more to sort of give to the gift to the business so uh yeah. So yeah and like I said he was he was a guy that he didn't he didn't have a chance to you know sort of do his full prime you know he didn't. He he yeah. didn't have a chance to even be a you know world champion. At least I would say at least with like David Von Erich, uh, he at least got to be you know. Uh... Oh, let me let me that say actually he didn't. I don't think he got to. He did not quite. He did not quite. I take that back. He didn't get to be a world champion. He, he was supposed to have a title match before he died. That's what happened.
2: Yeah, yeah, Um, he was supposed to have it with um, Rick Bell for the NWA title, but yeah, um, I think it, uh, it, I think it, they put they
0: didn't they put Kerry in that slot eventually, and then yeah, Kerry, he, didn't yeah. They put it.
2: Kerry. He 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 won it with um a backslide, and I uh, only a couple months later, um, Bell won it back. But but, but yeah, I didn't yeah, like he, he, how he, that he, even he, worked he, back then.
0: Yeah, it's hard, it's hard to know, like I said, how things would have been Of course, you know, when your dad's booking a company, it's, it's also kind of hard to know how that would have worked, whether or not he would have eventually left, like, you know, because basically Terry left and eventually uh, sort of other stuff. And like I said, we I think we mentioned on the show previously, you know, like I said, there's theories that he died of painkiller overdose, hydrocodone. There's uh, reports that Bruiser Brody, actually, since we brought him up, removed the evidence of an OD. Uh the family claimed he died from Russian t- intestines resulting from acute in- t- enteritis. Uh so and that is the documented cause of death on the constant report of death provided by US Embassy in Japan. So this is of course, you know, there's also a theory that uh Kevin Va- Kevin Von Eric put and referee put out that it was a heart attack, so a lot of different theories as far as how that goes. So, and, you, and like I said, you never know if you're the right influential type person, whether or not you can sort of get people to go with what you want to go with and
2: whatnot. So, uh, right. But any rate, um, uh, I I don't know how, how to go with that. I'm I'm just going to I'm just going to go with uh, what the official report was over in Japan.
0: Right. So anyway, I'm I'm not I'm not really going to pick a side on that because like I said it's the eighties and all kinds of stuff and it ultimately it doesn't really matter how you die the, the sad part like I said 'cause it's not like we're it's not like we're talking about like, you know it's different if you're in a situation where you end up you are hurting somebody else. Then I might want to look into it a little bit more and determine, okay, what truly is the truth. But when unfortunately when you pass it's not really in my book it's not really worth it as much as far as to really you know, seek the truth as far as that goes. I mean obviously I would rather the truth be out there regardless. But when it's something that happens to you and nobody else is directly affected by it, then I kind of look at it a little bit differently. So. But anyway,
2: yeah.
0: it's time to move on. Like I so we got we got one final thing I want to discuss before we get out of here because I I got most of the stuff out of here. But like I said, since this is Black History Month, I actually meant to discuss this uh, last week. And I've actually have discussed this guy on the show before. I don't know if I don't know if you were on this before. Were you on the show previously when I discussed Nova Austin?
2: Uh, probably would.
0: Okay, well, good. Like I said, like I said, uh,
2: I have discussed
0: this Jim on the show before. This is sort of part of the sort of Black History uh element of the show, uh, and I wanted to discuss this last week. But like I said, you know, when I was trying to discuss everything I want to I want to talk about, I sort of ran out, <laughs> and I left this one thing open. So let, let me go ahead and get into this. Oh, oh, Over Austin was a fascinating character. Uh, he actually made his debut. In the South wrestling uh, back in the day, and um, he did something that was unusual and something that was new,
2: because
0: uh, in a, back in the day, black guys could not be heels. It, it's weird when you think about it. Today, you figure since the South was kind of very racist back in the day, you figure they'd want to make all the black dudes heels. But maybe they figured if we made a black dude a heel, that we already want sort of, sort of want to kill these guys already. <laughs> maybe because you know we've heard the stories about you know different you know heels being chased out of town and shot and stabbed and hit with stuff so maybe adding race to that maybe that wouldn't have been the best idea back in the day but anyway and again he made his debut in 1971 not 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 in the 50s or the 60s back in 1971 which isn't that long ago if you think about it, it's like only about 50 years so when we think about stuff in the deep south we think about the 50s and the 40s and the 60s not so much the 70s but anyway uh what originally made me uh there was two parts of his character that made me most interested in them he was actually a part of the midnight express in 1981 and 1983 and a lot of people say who it's like yeah, he was there was a black dude in the Midnight Express. <laughs> I was not I was this was not something I was not aware of growing up watching wrestling. I started watching wrestling in eighty five, so I, just, I was not aware. You know, the Midnight Express was one of the most popular teams at the time back then. They were feuding with either the Rock and Roll Express or with the Road Warriors or with you know the other Midnight Express back in the day. Those are sort of fe- some of the feuds that I grew up with watching NWA back in the day. So that made me look further into the character once I heard this. Uh, actually, there technically a little bit of a little bit of mixed information on him, by the way, too, because it says on one thing it says debut nineteen seventy one, but you look other places it says debut in the late 60s That makes a lot more sense <laughs> as far as you know some of the stuff that sort of restrictions make a lot more sense in the sixty. Anyway, back to what I was saying. Uh, he he began his career in Florida, Alabama area, and uh, back then, if you were a black wrestler, you had a very very specific things. Uh, you pretty much only wrestled other black dudes. Like I said, I mentioned earlier in the, not related to this, but I mentioned earlier that back in the day, it seemed like every time there was a black dude wrestling in, back in the early 80s, early to mid 80s, they either always were friends or they always were enemies. But their their careers always interact that way. A lot of times they'd be friends and enemies or enemies and friends. Um, but anyway, uh, back in the day, this is even going back, you know, you know, 10, 20, 30 years before that if black dudes were wrestlers they either wrestled other african-americans or if they wrestled white opponents they had to be fan favorites and they could not cheat or use any underhanded means to beat their white opponents again like you mentioned earlier you thought okay this is a kind of a racist area you figure they kind of want the black guys to be killed but on the hand if you don't want your talent murdered i guess that might be a good idea to sort of play it that way but that means since he worked uh pretty much exclusively as a face back in the day. And mainly in a competition since there was no African-American tag teams at the time. So he was kind of just stuck and limited in what he could do. He was a face and he couldn't cheat, so he was limited in what his character could do. Uh, later, in 1971, there was this gentleman by the name of Sputnik Monroe, pretty good dude, very, very uh, racially progressive in his thought process. And they formed a tag team. And what was, you know unique at the time was they were heels and it was pretty much the first time you had a team of, of a black guy and a white guy as a tag team. It was like mixed team and them being heels. And then, uh, here's something that they did unique for the characters. Norville dyed a blonde streak in his hair. So he matches, uh, so yeah, so his hair matched Monroe's hair. There was even talk that maybe that he was Monroe's son. So that meant, you know, in these sort of sort of races and backwards towns. You mean you mean a black a black dude, the son of a white man? <laughs> that just made certain section segments of the uh population in the fan base it made their blood boil. Eventually they actually won the NWA Mid America version of the NWA Southern Tag Team Championships from Bearcat Brown and Lynn Rossi back in seventy two. They eventually lost them to Carl and Kurt von Brauner. And then they had a, you know, a few other achievements within the company while they're in Mid America. They did a sort of reversal of the angle. They saw the interns paint Bearcat Brown with white paint, and eventually they dropped the uh, black paint on the white wrestler Robert Fuller back in the day. So they were doing unique sort of stuff that was like, you know, not traditionally done. Eventually, this would lead to Sputnik Monroe, you know, saying stuff like "Black is beautiful." And Novel also would reply, white is wonderful. And that sort of became one of their catchphrases back in the day. Uh, they eventually left the Alabama area, and they, they went to sort of other areas in Florida. They were for championship wrestling for Florida under Eddie Graham. In Florida, they won the NWA Florida Tag Team Championship, beating Fuller and Jimmy Golden. Uh, eventually, Jack and Jerry Briscoe beat them for the titles back in the day. Uh, Noah won his first singles titles when he became the NWA Mississippi heavyweight champion, which helped, you know, sort of, uh, make him one of the pioneers in breaking down barriers in the South. Uh, later on, he teamed up with Rocket Monroe, who was Sputnik's storyline brother, obviously kayfabe. They weren't real brothers, but, uh, they held the, uh, Gulf Coast championship wrestling version of NWA. U S tag team titles. And by the way, uh, I probably haven't explained it well enough to a lot of the fans, but uh, or if you're not a wrestling historian, the weird thing about the NWA back in the day is the territories would only have one, quote, world champion for certain divisions. They'd have a world champion. They would have a world heavyweight champion. They would have a world tag team champion. But there could only be one version of that. You could not call your local territory if you were part of the NWA. Like, you couldn't call your champion world champion if you are part of the NWA. But you could have, like, the American championship, you can have the national championship, et cetera, et cetera. You can have like the Southern tag team champions. So there might be three or four different versions of the Southern tag team championships under the NWA banner, but there was only World championship. So you might see somebody win the Florida championship or the Georgia championship or the Southern championship, but there could be three or four different versions of those belts held by different companies. So that, that's why you see a quote, Gulf Coast championship version of the NWA United States tag team titles and stuff like that. Anyway, uh, back to Norville, uh, he sort of wrestled throughout the South. He, he later he later wrestled uh, Continental Wrestling Association, which was Jerry Jarrett's uh, uh, company. Uh, he eventually won uh, NWA Tennessee Tag Team Championships. So he held numerous belts throughout, the, uh, in, largely in southern territories. And the Southeast Championship Wrestling... Uh, lover boy Dennis as we later know him uh, his partner Don Carson retired so he teamed up with Randy Rose and they won the NWA Southeast Tag Team Championship eventually they started a feud uh, with Austin who was at the time wrestling under the name of Junkyard Dog obviously there was a different Junkyard Dog so that's a little that a lot of us know about but uh, eventually uh, Austin recruited different partners like Paul Orndorff and they eventually won the uh, South southeast Team championship goal for a while eventually they tried to throw off uh rose and country he became with a, a mass persona going by the name of the shadow he came with brad armstrong back in the day eventually uh they did uh you know he did lose the titles back to country and rose with, you know his, with his partner and then back in the day eventually uh Austin turned on Brad Armstrong and teamed up with Condrian Rose to perform what we know as the Midnight Express. See, I never even knew the Midnight Express was a stable back in the day. It was it was one of those like discoveries that this was like maybe f I think three or four years ago I learned about this. Just like You know, maybe 10 years ago or so, I think I learned that the Legion of Doom used to be a stable before it was, quote, the tag team slash alternative name for the Road Warriors. It used to be a stable, you know, with, you know, the the Legion of Doom used to have, like, the Road Warriors in it, that King Kong Bundy in it. Obviously, it had uh, Paul Eller in it. So, there was a lot of different talent that went under this, quote, Legion of Doom name back in the day prior to what we know as the WWE slash WWF version of them. So... uh. So, yeah, it turned out the Midnight Express sort of had an origin story just a little bit different than that. Because I remember, like I said again, by the by the time I was watching wrestling in the mid-'80s, I think the team was uh, Loverboy, Dennis, and Beautiful Bobby at that time. <laughs> so. But anyway, uh, in addition to sort of this team with Sputnik Monroe and, you know, teaming with the Midnight Express, uh, one of his sort of last prominent teams was uh, – i take that back. it's probably second to last prominent team. Uh, he he teamed with uh, PYT Express. That was his team with uh, Coco Beware. He was later a part of a Jimmy Hart stable in Memphis, known as the First Family. Uh, and then later on, he actually, I think his last prominent team, I believe, was with Brickhouse Brown called the Soul Patrol. So, uh, and they yeah, won the NWA, yeah, the NWA Southeast Tag Team Championships. So, I, Soul Patrol, I, I could have sworn, was the Soul Patrol also named, name that was that also the name of uh, Rocky Johnson and um, Tony Atlas? Is that what they went by when they won the tag team champions in WWF, I believe?
2: I thought it was. I thought it was.
0: Yeah, so, uh, but back in the day, they did, they had a lot less strong copyright protections and whatnot with the company. So you, you'd see these names, you know, sort of go around a little bit more, so. Anyway, like I said, he had a like I said he had a very very groundbreaking and uh, fascinating career. Came up with a lot of different partners. Even though he had a lot of success in the uh SAS-T division, he actually did have a, you know a good amount of you know single success as well. So, uh, I like I said, I've, I've talked about him before in the show just because I thought he's such a fascinating, interesting character and had such an interesting career arc. But since, like I said, since we've made a few changes to the network, we brought in Bill after to the network, we're getting a lot more different, you know, uh, listeners. I figured I'd bring this back up again, too, because, I, like I said, since we have a, a larger fan base now, I wanted, to, you know, all, a lot of those fans who didn't have a chance previously to hear his story, I thought really should hear his story because it is a, a great story. And you don't just have to take my word for it. You can sort of do your own research on it and stuff and learn some things. So, uh and since we are since we are the black demographic of the uh, VOC Nation uh hosting shows, we definitely wanted to include some black history for this black history month. Obviously black history is not limited to one month a year, but since there is a little bit more tension on it this month, we figure, you know, it's definitely our place to help put that out there in case there's, you know, segments of the population that might not be getting there the rest of the year. So uh don't feel don't feel like you need to be limited to just learning about black things and black people this month of the year. Learn about it year-round, but like I said, we're just using it as a sort of extra boost to it, just like, you know, doing Women's History Month. You don't have to limit your learning about women to just Women's History Month. But, you know, when it is Women's History Month or if it's Women's Sports Day or, you know, these different days, sort of use that as a sort of launching point for yourself, you know. Educate yourself always, but sometimes, you know, you just need that reminder Oh yeah, this is there's this thing that I might not be learning quite enough about and this is my opportunity to do it. So uh on that note, thank you for listening. Uh do you got any final thoughts before we go, Brian?
2: Uh sure. Okay. Uh I just go with two things. One, as always. Support your indie wrestling. Um, MLW is probably one of my favorites, but it's not um, the only. Um, just go and um, Google your um, major indie um, wrestling, like Gorilla Pro Wrestling, Combat Zone Wrestling, and you have um, um, many, many others. So go ahead, and support your indie wrestling. And as always, like the King had just said, Black History uh, Month is more than just uh, remembering stuff that happened in the past. It's also about what has happened or um, will happen. So educate yourself and educate others on um, the many, many um, achievements that um, people of African descent have made on this country and all over the world. Absolutely, uh,
0: great addition to to what we're talking about during the show. So, uh, thanks for listening, buddy. We'll be back next week. You've been listening to Wrestling with Problems.
1: I came looking for booty.
2: I like you, and I want you. Now we can do this the easy way, or we can do it the hard way. The choice is yours. Well, I don't think you and I will be doing anything any kind of way.